0: Everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm up BFW show where we hit on all of the big news of the week. And I'm going to get right into everything, but the first thing I do want to tell you is I am badly in need of a haircut right now. It's got it's probably been about 5 or 6 weeks. I look like I have a mop on the top of my head. I think my family is shunning me and rejecting me. I need to get this haircut. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, to take this disgusting figure that I have and hopefully polish it up and make it look a little bit better. Maybe that'll make me feel a little bit better about things because certainly Bayern Munich and everything going on around the club has not left me feeling very positive of late. So let's dive right in. Following our normal format of the five things that we have learned this week, the first one is that All of the ties between Robert Lewandowski and Bayern Munich have now officially been severed. And what I mean by that is we have seen the back and forth through the media between Pini Zahavi, who is obviously Lewandowski's agent, and the club and the bickering and the back and forth. But when Lewandowski spoke out last Sunday and stated that his era at Bayern Munich is over, that's the official nail in the coffin. Um, there's no walking that back. There's no apologizing. He said what he had to say. He feels that way. And that's okay. That's his prerogative. It's his career. And if he is done with Bayern Munich, then by all means, he is done. He is checked out. But this refusal by the club to acknowledge this and to still stick with this party line that they're going to make Lewandowski honor this contract. It's just getting ridiculous now. And listen, I understand the many ways that this impacts the the club and the team itself. First, financially, you're not going to make as much money selling Lewandowski as he's worth. Secondly, he's worth more to the team because If he's on the team, they're better. If they're better, they advance further in the Champions League. They advance further in the Champions League. They make more money. So with that, I get it. I totally understand it. But we're getting to the point where Lewandowski is openly putting it out there now that he's not going to be happy next season in in Munich. And we saw his former agent speak up this week and say that he is – not convinced that Lewandowski is going to be motivated to play with Bayern Munich and that he might not give his all. Now, I don't know if Robert Lewandowski is unprofessional like that. I don't think he is. There's been no inclination that Robert Lewandowski would tank a game or a season or even a play. I don't think that's legitimate. But an unhappy player can also be an unproductive player. And while Lewandowski, given his skill set and scoring ability, is never going to be fully unproductive, he might produce a little bit less. And if he's not fully invested into what you're doing as a team, and we saw this a couple of years back where he was definitely not fully invested into what was going on. It's not that he was a bad player because he wasn't. It's not that he didn't produce because he did. It's that he wasn't invested and he was thinking about moving on back then. And not only does that cause unrest between his camp and the front office, but also among the team. When your best player is unhappy, when your best player might not want to be there, it can create a lot of damage. And we can see some of that already. If you haven't noticed, one of the big themes with Robert Lewandowski and this whole saga has been his feeling of being unappreciated. But this is not new. But when it happens to a player like Lewandowski, it certainly gets amplified. So now we have heard Serge Canabry complain about the same thing. We have heard Niklas Sula speak up about the same thing. When these players feel unappreciated, it is like a virus. And even if you have cases like Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer, where they do feel wanted and they do feel appreciated and they do feel like the club is taking care of, care of them, that's great. But it might make some other players wonder, why don't I feel that way? Why hasn't Brazo contacted me? My contract's up in two years. And I think that's a little bit of what we got when you look at Gnabry and his situation. And when you look at Lewandowski, I think it's the same thing. Um, He wants to leave. I don't think there is any doubt about that. And with him... Publicly stating that his time is over, I don't know what recourse the club has. I think they have to get together. They have to really strongly think about selling him, even if it is a short-term hit financially and on the field. I just think it's one of those times where you need to break it off. And I get why they don't want to do it. Certainly, he makes any team better. Certainly, he is the most key figure on the team. Apologies to both Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller, and maybe even Joshua Kimmich, but Lewandowski is the man. He is the one everyone looks to. So I I fully understand the club's reluctance to let him go, but we have now reached a point where he's stating it, his agent is stating it. We've seen the rumors linking him to Barcelona, Real Madrid, Chelsea. We know that Barca is the is the club that has the best chance at this point of landing him. It's just gone on too long. It's time. Bayern has to figure this out. But something tells me, and I hope I'm wrong, that we're going to get a bit of a spiteful Bayern Munich, a bit of a vengeful Bayern Munich, where they're going to drag this out all summer just so Lewandowski doesn't have the ability to go and settle into his new place to go and get used to his new team. I think this is going to drag out until the end of the transfer window, and then Bayern will sell him. And they won't get anywhere near the number that he's worth, but they will have moved on. They will have removed him from the team, and they will be able to move on as a club and look forward to their next era. But they will do all of this just to spite him and keep him at Bayern Munich as long as possible. I hope that doesn't happen. I really hope it doesn't. But that's the way I see it playing out right now. Um, And, you know, by all means, Bayern Munich has every right to do that. But I don't think it's the correct thing in this instance. I think just looking at it, it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any better. So it's just time to cut ties. And as good as Robert Lewandowski has been, uh, you know, some people are going to look at his, the end of his tenure at Bayern Munich and they're going to feel a little salty about it. They're going to be a lot disappointed but I just think you have to look at it as when the player is in a situation where he wants to move on, where he might not feel appreciated, where he might not believe in what is happening with the club. And we'll touch on this in a little bit. And he might not see a pathway forward to get to where he wants to be. He wants to go. And I respect that. You know, you have to, right. It's his career. He wants to move on. And even though he has a contract, you know, this is about the time period where players look to, to look to leave. So uh I think it's time. I think Bayern Munich should bite the bullet and get Robert Lewandowski out. I just think it's better for everyone. And uh while it might not be good for fans, it's time. And, and Bayern Munich is going to have to take a long look at how it communicates with players, the type of relationship that the front office has with players, And they're going to have to evolve their ways of of doing business and their ways of thinking, this is not the old way. This is not the old world where being at Bayern Munich meant everything. It doesn't anymore. It's a new breed of player. It's a new financial world. It's a whole new environment when it comes to world TV money and what clubs in La Liga or the Premier League can offer on the pitch and off of it. So This is a real turning point for Bayern Munich. I hope the club recognizes the importance of where it's at in its history, and I hope it starts to develop a plan forward because right now it doesn't look like they have one. Like I said, we will touch on that in a bit. The second thing we learned this week is that the interest from Bayern Munich in Liverpool's Sadio Mane is legitimate, and that's probably a good thing for Bayern Munich. I mean, Mane is a fantastic player, tremendous talent, Uh, one of the most dangerous attackers on earth. Yes, at 30 years old, it's kind of ironic that Bayern Munich would be looking to ink a player who is in their quote-unquote danger zone. Um, But Mane is a special player. He has fantastic ability. Uh, I think as a wing, he is about as dynamic as any other wing on the planet. If he has to play more of a striker role or as an attacking midfielder in a four- And I'm sorry, in a three, four, two, one. I don't know how he will adapt to that. I don't doubt that he will be successful in it, but I don't think that it will be quite the best role for him. I do think, um, you know, he's got the history of being able to do that, to be able to play more centrally. I just like his skill set more as a wing player in a traditional Bayern Munich four, two, three, one. I think that's where he would make his biggest impact. I do wonder why they need him and I and I you know again this will be another topic that we hit on and I understand that Serge Gnabry's contract situation is extremely unsettled but when you have Leroy Sané and you have Jamal Musiala and you have Kingsley Coman and you you're pretty much locked into those three players for quite a while I don't see why adding a fourth player who has a similar skill set is quite necessary um if you wanted me to answer the question directly, would I make this move? Uh, you know, a lot would depend on what happens with Gnabry, what happens with Lewandowski. It does not hurt to add this type of talent. I, I couldn't be more impressed when I watched Mane play. I think he has a nose for the net. I think he's a good dribbler. I think he's got fantastic speed. And he just creates offense. And that's just a, a trait that can work on any team. And yes, I would sign him if you can get him for a reasonable price. And by reasonable price, I mean 30 to 35 million. If we're going to talk north of 40 million, I'm a little hesitant. And I'm a little hesitant because we've already spent some money on, well, it's not official yet, but Ryan Gravenberch. I'm a little hesitant because you've already put yourself in a position where you're going to have to get a real out and out striker at some point, if not this summer, then next summer. There is money that, that needs <laughs> to be banked because I also believe you're going to need a center back. And guess what? You might need two next summer, um, depending on what happens with Benjamin Pavard, depending on what happens with Luca Hernandez, who – I'm making an early prediction is going to also want to leave Bayern Munich uh, a year before his contract ends. And you just don't know what you're going to get from Dayo Upamakano or Tanganyadzu. The good thing is you have Chris Richards coming back, which helps because I think Richards is a, is a great talent. And I think he'll be able to be successful at Bayern Munich if he sticks. But you're going to need money either way. And if you can justify spending 50 million on Mane this year when he's essentially going to be a player who will probably be a starter, but is also going. His presence is also no doubt going to piss off the likes of Gnabry if he's if he's at Bayern Munich, Koman if he's at Bayern Munich, and Leroy Sané if he's at Bayern Munich, and maybe even Thomas Müller if his playing time gets affected. Potentially Jamal Musiala, who I would say is probably not a player that you want to make angry at this point because he's already not playing enough given what he has brought to the table. So you're you're skating by on, on him being a good kid at this point. But at some point, if he's not getting enough playing time, whether it's his parents, whether it's his friends, whether it's it's his agent, someone is going to start putting it in his ear that you need to start speaking up and you need to get playing time. And my fear is that if you bring in if you bring in Money, that you're not only going to alienate players like Koman or Sané, who will inevitably get less playing time, but you're going to piss off Musiala. And if you do that, you're running a real risk because he is a dynamic young talent who everyone in Europe will want. And I don't think that's the avenue you want to go down if you're Bayern Munich. So what I buy Mane? Yes, for the right price. I don't want to go above and beyond. I recognize that there are going to be some areas of this club that need immediate fixes in the next year or two. And given how revenue is not exactly flowing in at its normal rate yet, I don't want to be in a position where I have too many players for one spot being a wing who might not even really be able to play that role in the future, depending on what Julian Nagusman does. So oh man, it is a tough situation. It's tough to look at a player like Sadio Mane and say, hey, we like you, but we can't use you because any team could conceivably use him. I just don't know if spending that type of money is right for the team right now. So uh, I'm very interested to see how this plays out. If you want me to make a prediction on it, I do think Bayern Munich is going to sign him. I think it's going to be north of 40 million. And I think that it's going to have good effects on the pitch, but maybe some poor effects in the locker room, because I do think it's going to alienate some of those players that play in those wing positions or play centrally in an attacking midfield role, because he's going to take time from them. And as much as everyone wants to be kumbaya and holding hands, um, it's not going to work out that way because in professional sports, it never does. The third thing that we learned this week, and this was a late breaking story, is that Serge Gnabry rejected a 19 million euro offer from Bayern Munich. So just like we saw with Robert Lewandowski, it's probably time to sell Serge Gnabry. And again, the club holds all the cards here. They don't have to do anything. But in the grand scheme of things, Gnabry is clearly unhappy. And if you read the quotes from his press conference for the German national team, you could see that one, he didn't want to talk about his contract situation, obviously. Two, he did not want to talk about the potential acquisition of Sadio Mane. And three, he talked about being unappreciated as well. So this is, you know, it's all coming together. We're getting this common theme from all of these guys who are not getting enough communication during their contract negotiations, who don't feel appreciated by the club and generally might be looking to leave. Now with Gnabry, it's fascinating because if the story from Build is true, that Gnabry rejected a 19 million euro offer, it makes me wonder what the hell does the guy want? I mean, 19 million euros is nothing to sneeze at. In fact, I would say that that's more than a fair offer from Bayern Munich, but if the player is feeling unappreciated, if he doesn't like how he's been handled throughout this process, and if he looks at his teammates and he looks at, where am I going to play? We have Kingsley Coman, we have Leroy Sané, we have Thomas Muller, we have Jamal Musiala, we're going to sign Sadio Mane. If he looks at that whole situation, he might say, yeah, the money is great, but I'm in the prime of my career, and I I need to play, and I need to play every game. I need to be in the starting 11 every game. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for Canabri. It's not going to happen for Coman. It's not going to happen for Sané. If Sadio Mane comes, he will be a starter, and there is no doubt about that. Thomas Muller does not look like he's ready to seed any role yet. So you're going to have this powder keg of high-priced, high-maintenance players who all need playing time. And I think Gnabry, I think he's smart for looking at this situation and saying there is no plan for me here. We're just acquiring talent, and it's all talent that plays my position, or at least positions that I can play. And I honestly think Gnabry has examined situation, has looked at the money, and probably realizes again, if this nineteen million euro offer story is true, that he he won't get that same money out on the open market. I don't think, I don't even think it's possible that he will. I think he's looking at it from a career standpoint. You get to do this one time as a player. You get one career. You get one chance to make the most of it. And if you know, he's not the type of player that wants to spend that time on the bench, if he's not the type of player who's going to be happy splitting time, then he needs to move on. And I think it's as clear as that. And if I'm Bayern Munich and Serge Gnabry has rejected this offer, I need to sell him now especially if I'm planning on pursuing Sadio Mane, I need to generate some income. I need to look at where I have redundant positions on this roster, redundant players, and I need to make moves. Personally, I've always been a big fan of Gnabry. I think the way that that kid, and he's not really a kid anymore, so I'm hesitant to even say that, but the way he was able to turn himself around, going to England, going through such an awful spell there, Coming back to Germany, fixing himself, moving around a couple times, and then finally achieving that star level that I think many predicted from uh, from him early on in his career. He has done exceptionally well. He has been a productive, good player. Has he been the most consistent player? No. But if you look at the Bayern Munich wings, uh, including Koman and Sane, none of them have been overly consistent. So, uh. You know, if if I'm looking at Gnabry's career at Bayern Munich, I'm extremely happy with the acquisition. I'm extremely happy with how he played in the role he had. If he wants to move on, if 19 million euros in a part-time role is not good enough, I understand it. I totally get it. So Bayern Munich, now the ball is in your court. You're not only going to have to decide if you want to sell Robert Lewandowski, but you're also going to have to decide if you are going to unload Serge Gnabry this summer, and capitalize on a player who will surely bring home a nice chunk of change for the club. Oh man, it is a, uh, it is a tough time. It, it, it just really is. Uh, and this brings me to the fourth thing that I learned this week. And it's that Julian Nagelsmann is going to have an extremely tough time in his second year. He's got his work cut out for him. So not only. Has this season started out, if you want to call this the official start of the 2022-2023 season, not only has it started out with all of this drama just seeping throughout the team, you've got half a dozen players already issuing comments on Robert Lewandowski's situation, talking about Serge Gnabry and wanting to retain him, and just generally talking about how the club turned in a disappointing effort last season. Ganabri has a lot, I'm sorry, Nagelsmann has a lot of repair work to do. He has to rethink how he's going to set this team up. What formation is he going to use? What rotations will he use? What players is he going to use in certain positions? Uh, what players is he going to use in the starting 11 consistently? How is he going to account for the loss of players like Nicholas Sula, Corinton Tolisso, uh, and some others on the roster. How is he going to count for the potential uh, departures of players like Robert Lewandowski and Serge Gnabry, uh, and potentially even players like Mark Rocha, who I know that will elicit a little bit of a laugh, but at least he was a depth player. You need to replace that. And even if they get Ryan Gravenbirch, you're still looking for more players to help fill out that roster. So um, Nagelsmann is going to have to get creative especially because he can't really start to formulate these plans yet because he doesn't know who the hell's going to be in and who's going to be out. He has to start building scenarios. And if you're a coach, the last thing you want to do is spend time on scenarios when it comes to roster planning, because technically that's the job of the sporting director. That is the job for the chief scout. They should have scenarios about what, squad, what the squad will look like. As a coach, he should be already formulating his plan for his formation, what tactics he's going to implement, how he can best use those players within those tactics, or how he can best, best build his tactics around the skill sets of the players that he has. I don't know what kind of manager Nogglesman is yet. I don't know if he's a system guy who's going to plug and play with people from his roster and use them in his system, how he best sees fit. Or if he's the type of coach that is going to look at his roster and then build his system around that. We haven't seen the answer to that because quite frankly, he hedged his bets last season. He used a 4 two, three, 1 at times. He used that awful hybrid at times, which left his back line exposed more often than not, even though it generated a ton of offense in the end, it was not sustainable because it left the center backs facing too many counterattacks on their own. We saw him use a back three and a three four two one. Some people call it a three four three. Either way, we saw a bit of that. So we don't know exactly what direction Nagelsmann is going to go in. Originally, I felt like he was going to go back three for sure, but now I'm starting to have second thoughts because as I see rumored acquisitions of. Sadio Mane and potentially Conrad Limer. And we know that Ryan Gravenberch is done. That just hasn't been announced yet. When I start to see rumors of that, I start to wonder, is he going to think about a 4-3-3? Is he going to think about a 4-2-3-1 again? Because he will technically have good positions, uh, good players to use in those positions. So I think that when you look at everything, this is probably the type of exciting and intriguing scenario that Nagelsmann likes. He's going to get to go into the laboratory and experiment with a lot of things and try and create something great. And I'm sure that's very enticing to him, but it's not going to be easy because that is the perfect world where the coach goes in, he sits down, he locks himself in his office. He lives there. He goes full Joe Gibbs. And if you're not a fan of American football, you probably don't get that reference, but Joe Gibbs was a, coach of the Washington football team who notoriously worked long hours, notoriously slept in his office and genuinely built dynasties, built great teams uh, with a good system, but also catering it to his players and the skill sets of those players. He was an absolute genius of a coach. And I think that Julian Nagelsmann has some of those traits in terms of his creative He is able to work with multiple systems. He's able to work with different kinds of players. And I think that on the surface, he can do that. But he's also going to have to expertly manage these players in terms of their personalities. He's going to have to probably overly communicate. And he's going to have to make sure that those relationships that he has are rock solid. We already know he's had some difficulty with Leroy Sané. I can imagine if they bring in Sadio Mane, I can imagine if Lewandowski leaves, I can imagine if Serge Gnabry leaves, there's going to be issues at some point because Nagelsmann is going to spend a lot of time spitballing how to solution around losing players, how to spitball around solutions around adding players. It's not ideal. It's not ideal for a a coach that's going to be in a high-pressure situation who's going to be in a – at a club that expects nothing but excellence. And after what many would consider a good first half in his first season and a pretty bad second half of the season, I think he is under pressure. I think he's under the gun. I think this is a very tough spot for him to be in. He's not going to be afforded that time to go into mad scientist mode. He's not going to be afforded that time to experiment with all the things that he needs to experiment. He's going to be pressured to win. He's going to be pressured to win with a group of players who might not be fully bought into what he's doing, who might not be fully bought into each other. And this is going to be a difficult spot for him. And I don't think it's fair to him. As I've said many times before, I think his first six season, his first season was successful. I think it was, I think when you win the league title, it is a good successful season. I think there were some bumps in the road, but I think he's being set up for a very tough second season. And I think he owes nothing to the front office for that because they have put him in this spot. And it's going to be his problem to solve. And I'm really starting to wonder if he's going to be able to do that. So um I'm a little worried about that. And that brings me to my fifth thing that I personally learned this week. And it's that I think Bayern Munich's pretty directionless right now. And that sounds weird to say, right? Because traditionally Bayern Munich has such a strong foundation as a club. They always have a direction. They always know where they're going to be. And that's at the top of the Bundesliga as a competitor in Europe. But the landscape has changed. Uh, Money is not quite the same with Bayern Munich as it was in the past. Money is definitely not the same in other areas in terms of the Premier League or La Liga or even PSG. It's not a level playing field anymore. It's just not. And I think Bayern Munich has been too reactionary in adapting to that landscape. I think they've been too reactionary in adapting, adapting to little things like player movement and transfers. Hal Brazo has not been in contact as much as he should have with players like Nicholas Sula, who I still think it was an absolute mistake to let him go, how he was not on top of Nico Schlatterbeck, another player who would have been a good fit at Bayern Munich, but quite frankly, according to the reports we saw, did not hear from the front office. He heard from Julian Nagelsmann, who personally tried to recruit him, but Brazo did not follow up. When we've heard that Serge Gnabry feels unappreciated and complained about the lack of communication during his negotiations. These are things that are not good. We got to the position where David Alaba left on a free transfer. We got to the position where Tiago Alcantara left probably a little earlier than most fans wanted him to. And listen, for Tiago, it was probably a matter of he did want that new challenge. For Alaba, it's tougher to say because... When we look back at it, it doesn't appear that all of that communication was happening, and it was maybe a precursor for how things were going to play out with Gnabry and Sula and Lewandowski. Um, These are these are things that are worrisome to me, and I do think by Bayern not being proactive with their communications. By really holding this line that players are lucky to play for the club and not that the club is lucky to have those players, I think that kind of attitude has now become pretty outdated, right? Bayern is a special place. It's a special club, but it's a different athlete these days. It's a different player. It's a different mindset. There are other options out there. There are other options in Germany that are attractive now. The problem for Bayern Munich is going to be evolution. How do they evolve to adapt to this new landscape, to adapt to the new players? Being reactionary is not the way to evolve. And I think when it comes down to it, the club has fallen into this trap of being reactionary. They're not proactively getting ahead of situations like Robert Lewandowski. They're not proactively looking down the road and seeing that your best center back a Germany international who is absolutely a player you can build around for the next five to six years in terms of Nicholas Sua, how you don't get in front of him and you don't communicate with him, you don't make him an offer, and in fact, you make him feel unappreciated, it it makes no sense to me. And normally I would think this is nonsense BS that the player's agent is putting out there, but we've seen it too much now. We've seen it with Lewandowski. We've seen it with Gnabry. How we saw it with Kingsley Coman when his contract negotiations got contentious, it's not good. And I do think there's a problem with the direction of this club. I think when you look at the acquisitions they're being linked to, I think some of the ones that have been made, they're questionable. Did, did Bayern Munich need Nussara Masralli? Absolutely. They needed a right back or they needed a player. You could use it right wing back, depending on how Nagelsmann wants to work things. Did they need Ryan Gravenberch for whatever the final cost is going to be? I don't think so. I don't think it was worth the money, to be honest with you. He's a good prospect. I don't know how he's going to get much playing time. I don't know how he gets better if he doesn't get playing time. The move makes no sense to me. At this point, I'd have probably rather kept Mark Rocha, even though I think he's pretty much useless to Bayern Munich these days. Um, Quentin Tolisso echoed those sentiments that you know Julian Nagelsmann wanted to keep him, that Tolisso wasn't necessarily... Um, averse to to sticking with Bayern Munich. Taliso, though, did want to be paid. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a block for him. But he also kind of said that, you know, the front office wanted to move on from him. And, and I'm sure part of that had to do with his pay. And I'm sure part of it had to do with his role. I'm sure Taliso wants to be a, a starting player. But the fact that we're getting to this stage and that in the final game of the season, Tolisso didn't even accept flowers from the club because he didn't know whether he was going to be staying or going. If that is not clear at that point in the final game of the season, then there's a problem because you're not planning ahead. You don't. You should know the answer to that question because you should already be planning to replace Tolisso or you should already be factoring him into your lineup for next season. Either way, he didn't know it that last game. And now we're a couple of weeks out from that. The club makes a decision, uh, maybe internally, maybe they didn't, or maybe they didn't address it at all. But what we heard from Talisa was that he made the call to his agent and said, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. Let's move on. There's no direction right now. And, you know, people can argue that, argue this with me and say, "Well, well, they have a direction. They're going after Sadio Mane. They're linked to Sasak Kalajic. Great. Great. You're linked to them. You're reacting to the fact you're probably going to lose Robert Lewandowski. You're reacting to the fact you're going to now lose Serge Gnabry. You're reacting. All these moves are reactionary. It's time to get back to being proactive. It's time to get out in front of these player contracts. And if you don't want to move on with a player, if you don't want to plan with a player for the future, then sell the player. Capitalize on that. But stop this reactionary movement. It's become a virus within that front office to me. And I hope... That Brazo can fix it, and I hope that they can regather this in, put together a good plan for the summer, and then regroup, figure things out, and formulate a way to evolve into the future and how to adapt to this new landscape. But they need to do something, and they need a better plan, quite frankly, because what they're doing now is not working. I could go on and on this subject. I could go on and on about how this all goes back to Hansi Flick, and this goes back to moves in the past. There are a million different. Pathways backward where you could trace some of these issues. But the fact is that they are in this position now where they're reacting to everything. And it's just time to get control of the situation, get control of everything, and be proactive and probably start to rebuild some of the broken relationships that might be out there. And maybe make a little bit more of an investment in players emotionally and not just financially. We all know that the players love money who wouldn't love the kind of money they make, but they're also humans. They also need to to think that the club cares for them, whether it's true or not. And I'm sure in Bayern Munich's case, that there is a deep sentiment there for the players. I, I wouldn't say that about all clubs, but the players need to know that the club cares about them. And I think Bayern has to start reforming its communication with those players and how it interacts with players especially when it comes around time for contract negotiations and proactively getting out in front of that. So those are the five things I've learned this week. I got to say, this is not one of the happier weeks I've had in terms of talking Bayern Munich, but I'll leave you on this note. And we always try and end on something uh, in the field of entertainment did finish up the first half of the season of stranger things. And, What I can tell you in a non-spoiler way is I'm a huge fan of when a story starts in a mystery and then at some point later, they circle back to that mystery and kind of explain how we got here. And I wasn't sure Stranger Things was ever going to do that because the story itself was just working so well. And it didn't need kind of an origin story. But let me tell you, the way that they did the origin story, and how it all circled back and connected everything. It's pretty fantastic. So I'm really happy with the way the direction of that show has went. Uh, I was pretty enthralled with every episode. Um, You know, I know some people are are probably complaining about the length of the episodes and they're probably complaining about maybe not the, it it hasn't been the most action-packed season, but I think, that all of the dialogue and the way the characters have developed, I think it has really tied everything together and made that storyline come full circle. And it's uh, it was a pretty fascinating watch. So uh, if you haven't started that, you'll love it. If you haven't started the series, you should. So I highly recommend it. Uh, I will now be diving into Obi-Wan. And then of course, also probably simultaneously starting the new season of the boys, which means I'll probably have some late nights, and uh it's usually when I do watch uh uh watch these shows. I usually wait till everyone else goes to bed and then uh I stay up probably a little too late and then wake up a lot too early so uh enjoy those shows. Let me know what you think not only of all those Byron points that I talked about but also about those shows. You can drop me some comments or always hit me up on twitter so uh hey thanks again for listening. Enjoy your weekend uh, I really appreciate. Uh, the listenership and everyone that has given the show a chance. It's been great doing this. Uh, so, you know, I, I love the interactions. I love being able to, uh, to, to get to talk to you guys in the comments. So appreciate all the feedback. And uh, as always, you can get me on Twitter at the barrel blog and get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get Tommy Adams at Tom adams 71. Uh, you can get, I need no name at B F W I N N N. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. And as always, you can get Samarin and Schnitzel on our site. So thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. And we will see you next time.